0: Good morning, great to be with you. My name is Matt, one of the ministry team here. If you're new or visiting, it's fantastic that you are here. Great week to be in church. Let's pray together. Almighty and loving Heavenly Father, we pray as we hear your voice that you would remake us, that as you spoke the world into being, so you would speak us into new life, even as we sit here. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, I hope you are enjoying the unique joys of Advent and the Christmas season. I have been eating my weight in mince tarts. Uh, I have been working hard at that. Uh, You know, uh, you may have been enjoying some of the parties and things of this time of year. The unique opportunity to see the the palms be beaten at cricket. Uh, You know, those kind of things. Christmas parties. Uh, All the stuff that can only come at the end of the year. And only in a season like this. I think Christmas brings unique joy to the ordinary things of life. But I do also think that Christmas also brings unique pain, often as well. There's something about this season and the anxiety that it can provoke and the exhaustion that you enter into this season with, whether it be emotional or physical or relational or work or whatever it is, and then you've got to walk into these relational situations with family and friends that... Aren't comfortable. In fact, you'd rather drive a nail through your foot than be there. You know, Christmas has a way, a unique way. I think of shining light on the fractures we feel in our own self and on the fractures that we feel in God's world. I think Isaiah 40, though it speaks of comfort to desolate people, is actually exactly what we need to hear at Christmas time when some of the more broken aspects of our life are just laid before us. We feel the absence of people that we love. Uh, We wonder why this year ended up turning out the way that it did, and sometimes at this time of year we end up thinking how our life ended up the way that it has, and why God hasn't come through yet. You might have on your lips the same question as God's people have in verse 27 of Isaiah 40. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my cause is disregarded by my God. Isaiah 40 is for people who are fed up, spiritually at the end of their tether, feeling weak, absent, anchorless, adrift, and desolate. It is a word of comfort to weary people. And remarkably, I think, the comfort that we get from Isaiah 40 is the comfort of kind of lifting our eyes away from ourselves, away from the fractures we see in here, away from the fractures we see around us and onto the glory of God. It is the glory of the coming of the Lord Jesus, first in his birth and then second in his glory, that can bring us comfort that nothing else can. So I want to explore that today in Isaiah 40. Three things I want to have a think about in terms of comfort. And the first is this. God's glory brings comfort that nothing else can. God's glory brings comfort that nothing else can. We're introduced into Isaiah 40 as if we understand straight away what's going on. They speak of hard service in verse 2 and sin and something is awry and in verse 3 we're invited to hear a voice who proclaims a highway being opened in the desert and we're left thinking what's going on here and I think we really need to think a little bit into the situation of Israel at this point uh, and what is happening in their existence It's very hard to understand, I think, what is happening for Israel when they've been exiled, when they've been taken away from home and placed in a foreign country. I think it's kind of like the way a German soldier felt at the end of World War II. Jürgen Moltmann, someone who fought for Germany in the Second World War, who saw his best friend blown up beside him, at the end of the war watched his country be ripped in two and disassembled by the Allies and Russia. He was taken to a prison camp in Scotland where it was revealed to them the reality of Auschwitz, of the pain and suffering that their leaders had pushed on innocent people. And he describes sitting in this camp with country, friend and all vision of life gone. And he says, we were weighed by the somber burden of a guilt which we could never pay off. And we felt about life. What we felt about life was an inconsolable grief. It's not a bad picture of Israel, ripped from home, disassembled, and bearing a unique moral guilt of failure before God himself feeling like nothing in the world could turn this horrific desolation around. It's to people like that that Isaiah 40 comes. And what's proclaimed in verse 3? A highway. Why? The highway is the way home. And what's being summoned here is a picture of every mountain and all valleys and all rough places Being removed and reshaped so that the way home is made. It's an overturning of exile. How does it happen? Verse 5 through the glory of the Lord being revealed. God's glory, His miraculous coming that can shift mountains, raise valleys, His glory alone can overcome. The desolation and destruction that Israel had experienced. God's glory brings comfort alone. So in verse 9, we're told of someone told to go onto the high mountains and and to, to shout out good news. What is the good news? Here is your God, God is coming. That is the only consolation for Israel's life. And really, it is the only consolation for a world that is a mess. As Isaiah says, all men are like grass and like flowers of the field that wither and fall away. We are nothing. We have nothing. To stitch together a broken, desolate life, let alone a fractured world. It is the glory of God alone, unveiled and revealed, that can bring comfort to Israel and to us. But the question is why and what? What is the glory of God and why does it bring comfort? And this is the second thing I want to draw your attention to in this passage. Because most of this passage doesn't talk about Israel actually at all. It paints before us a glorious vision of the glory of God Himself. And the reason why God alone can bring comfort is His unique capacity to be both unrelentingly tender and unstoppably powerful. Unrelentingly tender and unstoppably powerful. Comfort comes from the fact that God is both of these things. You see that the tenderness all through this passage really It starts in verse 1. Comfort, comfort, compassion, compassion. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Literally, speak to Jerusalem's heart. Speak a gentle word to her. That's how God responds to the desolation of His people. That's how God responds to the desolations of the world. Tenderness a gentle word, a kind word. He even calls them my people, which is remarkable given how much that they have betrayed him and forgotten him and left him out in the cold. He says, yes, you've had hard service. Yes, you've had to bear the weight of your sin, but that time is gone. Judgment has passed. Grace is here. Mercy has come. Your tender God has arisen. And we see in verse 11, this picture developed as God is seen as a shepherd who gathers lambs, little baby animals in his arms and carries them close to his very soul and leads people gently. It's a remarkable picture of God. Not of a a tyrant, not of someone who holds his authority and power as something that must make others submit But someone who gently walks into the mess of life to fix it. It is because God is relentlessly tender toward Israel that there is comfort. But that's not enough on its own, is it? Because the desolation that they're experiencing also requires God to be unstoppably powerful. He has to literally move the nations and the mountains to bring Israel home. And so, what does Isaiah say? It is the sovereign Lord who comes with power in verse 10. And then in verse 12 and following, we get this this beautiful unpacking of what the sovereign Lord looks like. What God in His revealed and unveiled pure immensity actually is. In verse 12, we see a picture of him holding the waters in the hollow of his hand. I can't even get enough water in the hollow of my hand to have a drink from a bubble, right? And the picture here is of all the, nation, all the waters being held in the cusp of his hand, which is remarkable given that ancient people thought that water was where the evil was. Here God holds all the evil spiritual forces of the world in his hand as if he could drink them in one gulp. Not only that, but he can mark off the heavens between his pinky and his big thumb in verse 12. All the spiritual powers in the heavens above, they fit round about there for him. And he can actually weigh the mountains. That's why he can move them. And those nations, those pesky, annoying nations that have taken you into exile, they are like a drop in a bucket. They are nothing. They are less than nothing in verse 17 because God decides when they rise and when they fall. In verse 24, no sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they will. The picture here is of the immensity of God's power. But not only that, his immensity of power is backed by an immensity of wisdom. No one can tell him what to do. He doesn't need a plan. No one can consult his wisdom and his ways. He not only is remarkably powerful, he knows exactly how to use that power in the most wise, decisive, and remarkable way. And so Isaiah says to Israel, have you forgotten? Don't you know? Haven't you heard? There is no God like your God. Your God can move nations and mountains with his thumb. So in verse 27, how can you say, why do you say, O Jacob, my way is hidden from God? Nothing is hidden from him. And because he is remarkably tender and unstoppably powerful, he can bring you home. In fact, he is the only one who can bring you home. You see, if God was just one or the other, he wouldn't be any use to us. If he was just tender, that would be great, but useless. He couldn't fix anything. And if he was immensely powerful without being tender, then he would just crush us or he wouldn't be concerned with using his power on our behalf. But our God is relentlessly tender and unstoppably powerful, which means in every season of life, he can bring comfort by being a God who draws near and a God who says, you know what, one day I can fix it. I can bring you home, Israel. I can fix this world. And we, in the Christmas season, as Christians, have seen this remarkably happen already. The God promised to Israel is the God we have seen in Jesus. The one who uses his infinite power to help a baby draw breath. Who gets real hands so he can wipe real tears from real eyes. So that he can heal real people and bring them back from the dead. In the Lord Jesus, you see the remarkable tenderness and the unstoppable power of God. And it is with him, as Hebrews says, as our high priest, that we have a source of comfort in all things. And not only that, we, like Israel, have a promise of a future day where we will see him, and he will work his remarkable power and tenderness to remake our world. So God in his relentless tenderness and unstoppable power brings about our comfort. But the third thing is this. And I love this in this passage. It's got a turn at the end. I hope you noticed it. But he spends the whole chapter talking about God. And then right at the end, he talks about us. And he says this about comfort, that comfort is not just a future thing, but comfort, God, the comfort that God gives helps us endure everything in the present. God's comfort empowers us to endure all things in the present. Did you see this? He says in verse 28, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord... Is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. You see, ultimately, Isaiah says to Israel, I know that you are at your complete end that you are weary, and that you cannot live in the midst of your exile. And where you need to look is to the creator God who never gets weary, who never runs out of power, who never runs out of wisdom, who never runs out of strength, and who in his tenderness gives it to those who ask. So that they can soar like eagles. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, as I says in 31 those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. You see, comfort and the glory of God ultimately is about not waiting for your circumstances to end, but about putting your hope in God putting your hope and your trust and your vision in his glory and letting him uphold you. This is exactly what Jürgen Moltmann experienced in a prison camp in Scotland. Breaking under the weight of Auschwitz and having to afford on behalf of Hitler. He describes this moment where God found him. And what he found was this. Christianity, he said, that he saw, was completely, entirely, and utterly hope. Forward direction. Forward movement. Hope isn't just an appendix. It's the whole substance of Christian faith. It's the keynote. It's the daybreak colors of a new expected day, bathing everything in their light. And he talks about when he found the hope of the glory of God, he was upheld from sinking into the abyss, his words. And that it provided the strength to get up again and again after every inward and every outward defeat. You see, when you set your hope In a God who is unstoppable, yet always present, you have the capacity and energy to bear up under anything. Anything in the present, while you wait for him to come. John Calvin said of this verse, do you know what this should teach us? It should teach us to flee to him in hope. You know, when you're knocking on the door of the relative who you would rather you know you just want to you want to sink into the earth rather than walk in the door that's the moment when we flee to the one who is unwearied when we are feeling the spark of grief and absence we flee to him for hope when we are feeling the fractures of a world that does seems like it's never going to mend we flee to him for hope. When your strength runs out, you flee to the unwearied one and put your hope and renew your strength in His power. You see, the Christian life is to be made of millions of little moments of leaning in of the, on, the, on the hope of Christmas and Easter, leaning in on the confidence of a tender and unstoppable God who has made Himself known in Jesus and who has conquered the grave. See, as we conclude, Jesus Christ was both tender God and the unstoppably powerful God. And it is in him that we grow confidence that God will never abandon us. Why? Because when Isaiah says in verse 40, verse, chapter 40, verse 2, that Israel's sin is paid for, he's right, but he's wrong. Israel's sin has not been paid for. Only the blood of Jesus Christ to come will pay for the sin of Israel. You see, the tenderness of God stepped weakly into the world to be crushed by divine power that our sin might be paid for. And knowing that our hard service is complete and our sins have been paid for double, we are confident that we will experience the power of Jesus Christ, who became weak, that we might live in his strength. And so, friends, flee to him for hope. Let's pray.